Ahoy, and thanks for listening to our Stranger Things podcast. We hope you have a schmackin' time, but first, a quick note. When we launched the podcast back in the summer of 2021, we were admittedly a little rough around the edges, but in the weeks that followed, we upgraded our recording and editing equipment and polished things up a bit, finding our groove along the way. So, if you'll forgive us the glitches and other issues in the first couple of episodes, we promise it gets better, and we hope you stick with it. Maybe even skip ahead to hear our recap of a favorite episode from later in the show's run so you see what we mean. Friends don't lie, after all. Thanks again for giving Scoops Ahoy, a Stranger Things podcast, a listen. Enjoy. Ahoy, ladies! I didn't see you there. Would you guys like to set sail on this ocean of flavor with me? I'll be your captain. I'm Steve Harrington. And I'm Colin. And I'm Whitney. This is Scoops Ahoy, a Stranger Things podcast, where we will, week by week, chapter by chapter, go through the entire Netflix series. And our goal is to have our recaps of season three end right as season four premieres. While we don't have a date yet for the premiere, most outlets are guessing at a late 2021 or early 2022 release. We're going to do a quick summary, which might have some minor spoilers, but we're not giving away anything huge, like character deaths or big character developments, anything like that. Then we're going to talk about some trivia we dig up on each episode. We're going to hear a little bit from Colin's perspective as he was the same age as Mike and the boys during this time period. And finally, we'll top things off with some episode superlatives. So we're going to kick this off with Colin giving our summary of season one, episode one, The Vanishing of Will Byers. Chapter one of Stranger Things is indeed called The Vanishing of Will Byers. It was written and directed by the show's creators, the Duffer Brothers, Matt and Ross, and it debuted on Netflix five years ago today on July 15th, 2016, along with the other seven episodes of the first season. We open on Sunday, November 6th, 1983 in Hawkins, Indiana at the U.S. Department of Energy's Hawkins National Laboratory, where a scientist is running for his life before getting snatched by something in the cargo elevator. Cut to the basement of the Wheeler House, where middle schoolers Mike, Dustin, Will, and Lucas are 10 hours deep into a Dungeons & Dragons campaign. Mike's mom shuts that party down and sends the kids home for the night. Will and Dustin race each other home on their bikes. Will wins and continues on riding past the lab where he comes face to face with a tall, creepy alien creature in the road. The kid runs home, but the monster chases him to the backyard shed. Will manages to get the family shotgun loaded, but the monster comes up behind him and poof, they're both gone. Cue the opening credits. The next morning, police chief Jim Hopper wakes up, smokes, brushes his teeth, and smokes some more and heads into work. While at the buyer's house, Will's mom, Joyce, and his brother, Jonathan, discover Will is missing and call around to try to find him. At Hawkins Middle School, Dustin, Mike, and Lucas are also wondering where their buddy is. And at the high school, Mike's older sister, Nancy, chats with her friend, Barb, before meeting new boyfriend, Steve, in the bathroom for some kissy face. Joyce, meanwhile, has arrived at the police station, begging Hopper to find her son. Back at the Hawkins lab, men in suits arrive and meet Dr. Brenner. They get all hazmatted up, lock and load, and inspect a massive gooey alien space yuck coming through a hole in the wall. Over at Benny's Burgers, we see a kid with a shaved head wearing a hospital gown. She wanders in and chows down on some fries before Benny catches her. The D&D gang, meanwhile, are told by their science teacher, Mr. Clark, that the school's new ham radio kit has arrived. As they're playing with it, Hopper arrives to ask the kids if they know anything about where Will is. 
Joyce and Jonathan are searching around Castle Byers, which is Will's treehouse campy thingy in the woods, but they come up empty. Back at Benny's Burgers, Benny notices the number 11 tattooed on the lost girl's arm. As he calls social services, she telekinetically stops the noisy fan. Hopper finds Will's bike in the woods, takes it back to Joyce and investigates the shed. Fast forward to dinner time at the Wheeler house. Mike is trying to convince his parents to let him go look for Will, and Nancy wants to go get some quality Steve time, though she tells the rents she wants to study with Barb. Mama Wheeler tells both kids they're staying home. Thank you very much. While Hopper is leading a search party into the woods, Mike rallies his buddies to go look for Will anyway, and Steve breaks into Nancy's room to ahem, help her study. When a woman from social services arrives at Benny's and puts a bullet in his brain, the girl, who we're now calling Eleven, escapes out the back door after using her telekinesis to kill two agents. Nancy and Steve kind of study, Joyce gets a mysterious phone call, and the boys trip on Eleven in the woods. The end of chapter one. Dun, dun, dun. So. There's a lot lot to unpack there. There is. There is. And for a show that did not have a whole lot of marketing before it premiered it I really when I watched it and I had read an article about I think I was looking up horror stuff and because that's like my favorite thing and this caught my eye a new series on Netflix and at that time there weren't really any good series on Netflix it's kind of it still kind of had that reputation that it needed to be something it needed to be on a bigger platform like HBO or something similar to be a quality show. So I, they didn't put a ton of effort into advertising, but when I watched it, I started the first episode really having no idea other than I think it was described as creepy. Yeah, and and, and the original trailers didn't really give a whole lot away Mm-mm. either. I mean, it was it, they didn't really play up the 80s angle, which I think would have, you know, gotten a lot of, you know, more adulty kind of people into it but yeah i think you're right because i i think a lot of, i mean netflix didn't really have a whole lot of original content at, at this point i think Mm-mm. this was one of their first big ones so and i actually read an article from an interview with the duffer brothers saying that they didn't want to focus on the 80s so much that people went into it thinking oh this is kitschy and it's, it's a just, nostalgia trip. Yeah. Yeah. And he wanted it to kind of just he want they wanted them to be nostalgic. They wanted the show to be nostalgic, but not necessarily the focus of it being, you know, in the 80s. They wanted the characters to drive the story and the characters to be the driving force behind why people liked it. And it was originally intended, they were surprised when so many kids started liking it. Because this is right around the time I think when we knew that they were remaking it, which was going to, we didn't know who was, it was very early because it came out in 2017, but you know, it starred a lot of kids, but everyone knows that's kind of an adult movie, you know, that's not really aimed towards kids. So they didn't go into it thinking that kids would love it as much as they actually do. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back, I mean, to their inspiration, I mean, they were inspired certainly by Spielberg and the eighties movies and Stephen King and it and things like that. So I think that kind of played into their setting, you know, this in the eighties. And I think it was originally set the original script. um, I think it was actually set in 1980. um, And then they bumped it up a couple of years as Mm -hmm. I recall. So they wanted to, in the interview, they wanted to, 
talk about, you know, they wanted to do something with the government conspiracies of, you know, the testing that, you know, that people think that the government might be doing and MK Ultra in the 70s and lead into the 80s. And then, like you said, they ended up bumping it up, you know, to 1983 to yep. get it going. Yeah. Oh, my good Lord. What a lot of stuff happens. I mean, they obviously have to set up everything, you know, and they got to get yeah. you to so they have to introduce as many characters as they can. They have to get the plot rolling and they have to do it all. And I, mean, I think it turned out to be like 47 minutes. And I think I counted their 22 different scenes in 47 minutes, um, which is a lot. 22 of, different know, the, scenes? Yeah. So, you know, here we are at Benny's Burgers and then we go back yeah. to the Wheeler house and then we're back at Benny's Burgers and then we're doing the search in the woods and then we're in the Wheeler's basement. And then, mm-hmm. you know, So, yeah, there's 22 different scenes in those first 47 minutes so which is it's kind of surprising too because it is such a wide cast of characters in a lot of shows i i I don't think they do nearly as good of a job as introducing the characters and getting like introducing them to you so that you get to know them and you feel invested in their story as this one did in 47 minutes because i was interested in every single person i wanted to know what the four kids the four boys were doing i was interested in the mom and hopper's relationship with the wheelers nancy and steve everybody yeah and they, and they get a lot of exposition without well i think of it like the first hopper scene right after the opening credits when um we we pan down from the kids picture the, mm-hmm. the kids drawing on the wall of the mom dad and the kid and then we find out later what's going on there and then it just pans down and so you're panning from the picture down to the table and then there's you know beer cans and poker chips and then you pan over more and he's lying face down on the couch and then he gets up there's no dialogue he wakes up other than what's on the tv the news reports on the mm-hmm. tv so he wakes up he's beer cigarette beer goes out on the porch Ooh you know but and then he puts on his uniform and his uniform's all pressed and you know nice looking and everything so i mean without any dialogue you get a sense that this guy you know he's it's a hot mess yeah he's a hot mess but he cares about his job and mm-hmm. we know he's the police chief and i mean i mean and that's brilliant i mean that's yeah. like a, a two-minute scene and we got all we need to know about hopper to start off think, with just from that yeah and with 11 i don't think she says more than you know five words in the first episode right yeah and we already know something terrible has happened to her. She's probably part of a government experiment. She's clearly run away and she has telekinetic powers. (laughs) And and the same thing with the kids too. I mean, just the four kids sitting around in that opening Dungeons and Dragons scene, you kind of get the sense that Mike might be kind of the alpha male. He might be the leader of the group Mm -hmm. and, and Dustin's kind of the comic relief and Lucas is the one that keeps them all grounded and Will's kind of the weenie in the corner. And so, I mean, you know, (laughs) I mean, you get a sense with the personalities there too, which is, yeah. which, is which is pretty cool. So, yeah. did you did you catch the foreshadowing with the Dungeon and Dragons game? With, what with Will the, says, yeah, the Demogorgon got me. Yeah, when, the Demogorgon got me. Yeah, <laughs> five minutes and later, he does. He does. Yep. He does. And it's funny because I'm not familiar enough with Dungeons and Dragons. I know it, and I'm I'm interested in it, but I've never played or anything. Does the monster that we eventually that we see does it actually look like the demogorgon from the game no i no and i think they were they're just you know they picked a creature i mean the duffer brothers picked the creature and and then you know i mean it's similar you saw that mm-hmm. when he when he slams the piece down in the in the middle of the game board that's what you know kind of the generic dungeons of dragons kind of demogorgon creature looks like does it look more similar to what we see in season two 
No, I mean it, it's it. I mean it, it has a tail and it's kind of got okay. like a dragon head, and so so no, it, it is not. A, it's okay. not a model of that creature. It just they, they just call it. Of, that. They kind of start calling that, and then the creature that shows up in season two, they also pull the name for that from Dungeons and Dragons, and mm-hmm. it's nothing, nothing like it. So, oh really? Yeah, yeah it's just it's just oh. a. I think they they just kind of gave it gave it a name that they were familiar with. Mm-hmm. you know, to kind of, you know, to match the creature essentially. So interesting. Yeah. We know the Duffer brothers played homage to many, many, many movies in this, just from the first episode alone, you get ET, which is the shot at the beginning. I mean, it basically half of the first episode is ET, but not in a way that felt pandering or, or, or like a no, remake. No, not at all. But if you had watched, if you had watched ET within a week of seeing the first yes. episode of Stranger Things, the opening shot of the scientist and what's going on in science and labs mm-hmm. and stuff and flash to four kids sitting around a dining room table playing Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, it's identical. So it's nighttime. It's creepy. There's weird science things going on. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you, yeah, you Dungeons and Dragons. so it's a complete homage to to et and then you know hopper drives the same truck you know the i think it's a chevy blazer from jaws um from jaws and also from et okay Um, and then you know they have the when they do the search in the woods about three quarters of the way through the episode that's very et with all the backlighting Mm -hmm. and the and the flashlights and everything so yeah there was a there was a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff and then obviously joyce mentions poltergeist so you got Mm -hmm. tickets for poltergeist and then you have the breakfast Um, table yep. at the wheelers which yep. is set up just like the freelings with nancy in the middle and dana was in the middle of that shot from poltergeist yeah yep. and then jaws she oh. mentions uh, being scared of clowns so that's you know kind of an homage to it i guess and yeah and then they frame the shot when they really put hopper in the same light as chief brody so they go in and the, the way the shot is framed is the exact way the shot was framed in jaws when they're typing up the police report yep for alex kittner's death and jaws for will going missing like you see the whatever they are in typewriters doing the letters and everything so you have that then you have goonies the boys do the boys on the bikes Mm -hmm. and the music is the same there it's almost identical as is the conversation that they have yeah it's great and like you said it's not it doesn't feel cheap. It doesn't feel Mm-mm. like they're ripping it off or they're trying to imitate it. It feels, you know, like it's an homage, like it's uh, you know, they're, you know, they were inspired by it and they want to kind of put you in that mindset of, you know, okay, this is the kind of thing that I'm watching. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't game of Thrones. This yeah. isn't, you know, a, a rom-com. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the kind of, you know, show that this is and it, and it stays like that for, but yeah. And I feel like there's not really, it's not really set in a, particular genre it's it's scary but it's also a bit of fantasy it's also you know sci-fi it's and there are moments that you chuckle throughout Mm -hmm. it's it's not i mean you yes it's dark but it's not i don't know like it is dark or another show like that you know need i remind you how many times i had to watch the first episode before I made it through the first episode and proceeded well, on to the second episode. And thank the God episode. you had a friend who I won't mention her name, but she said, you really need to watch this show. I promise you're going to like it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I got, I got through the opening scene with the guy running through the hallway. 
And then Dungeons and Dragons, I'm like, okay, I can breathe. Kids playing Dungeons and Dragons. That's fine. I get that. That'll work fine. Hopper waking up. Perfect. Not a problem. Mm-hmm. Joyce, you know, looking for a kid. Sure. Kids at school. Sure. Police station. Fine. And then all of a sudden, these cars and trucks pull up outside the lab and dudes are getting in hazmat suits <laughs> and they're getting semiotic machine guns cocked and ready to go. And then they go downstairs and then what the hell is on this <laughs> wall, <laughs> this basement in this lab. And Which... it's like all oh, science gooey. What did I say? Alien space yuck or something? Yes, like that? Yeah. Space yeah. goo. I'm like, what on earth am I watching? And then it just, it just I really going. didn't know either, to be honest, yeah. I, but I was hooked immediately. So yeah, I mean, even, even when Will, you know, gets chased and all that kind of stuff, it's, uh, there's some suspense there, but I was kind of still with it, you know, little kid, you know, what, what's the worst that could happen kind of thing. But, oh uh, yeah. Yeah. They just... weren't afraid to uh, tromp right over the, you know, usually movies stay away from child endangerment or, or things like that. That's uh, unless, you know, going in, like, right. You don't have a movie about kids where kids are being brutally murdered. Typically. Right. right. I don't know. It opens up with a boy getting his arm pulled off. So. Sure. Never mind. <laughs> yes. I know what you say. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, th- I think, uh, you know, for a, for a first episode the first chapter, as they call it, they don't really call an episode. So a first chapter, where you have to introduce everybody. I mean, and I mean, everybody, the four kids mm-hmm. and Joyce and Jonathan and Nancy and douchebag, Steve and Barb and Hopper. Um, you know, I, I never really, it never felt whiplashy to me. I mean, it felt like it, it proceeded, you know, it flowed. Yeah. It flowed really well. And, and there was, there was lots of good stuff in there. And, and when you watch it over and over again, then you kind of start noticing the homages a little bit more and, you know, mm-hmm. and how that, you know, plays into it. there's another reference it's pretty strong it gives you like a little bit of foreshadowing for basically a lot of the show well just in general i guess the comic that when dustin and will are racing and he says i'll take your x-men 134 that's the one where gene gray turns in dark phoenix Mm -hmm. yeah and she's telekinetic and in the comic she ends up destroying an entire planet of people so I don't, I don't think it's going to go that way, but yeah. And, and I it's think it's not I mean, over yet. I mean, you kind of, I mean, you kind of need to be a comic person to get that, but I think you, you know, I mean, I think enough people know what the X-Men are all about that you kind of get the idea mm-hmm. from it. So, and then yes, the comic book nerds are all going to go, Oh yeah. X-Men, yeah. Stark Phoenix and Oh, great. You know, awesome. Um, so yeah, absolutely. But that's a, that's a, that's a good one too. And then they have the Lord of the Rings. references later with Mirkwood they call um they call the um intersection of Cornwallis and Curly um which is a real intersection in Durham North Carolina where the Duffer Brothers (laughs) grew up oh really yeah I didn't know that national streets near where they grew up um so they call those roads they call that area Mirkwood and then also the Radagast is the password to get into Castle Byers and that's Mm -hmm. um, a wizard from Lord of the Rings so I mean, there, there's all kinds of like little nuggets in there that, you know, oh, yeah. kind of kind of keep everybody um, interested. And then you get the actual nuggets of what's going on in the story. And then, you know, when Eleven stops the fan and you're like, what is going on? Yeah. Um, and then when social services come and executes Benny, you're like, whoa, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's so much to absorb. And, you know, again, it's 47 minutes and you get all of this. Mm-hmm. And you think about, you know, 
where the series goes over the course of well eight episodes nine episodes 25 episodes over three seasons that we've seen so far and you know what happens and the new characters that come in and Mm -hmm. and are killed off and all this other stuff you know everything that happens um and they had to get everything done in this first 47 minutes to you know get you sucked in and and introduce everybody so then second episode we kind of you know the story can kind of go off on its own and and you know kind of become its own story so yeah it's it's it's, yeah it's very sectioned off as you go it still flows but you get enough from each group which story you're following you get enough right to keep you going it's not ever there's never a point in the show where i'm thinking let's get past this. I just want to get back to see what Nancy and Steve are doing or to see what the boys, I never feel like that. I'm really interested in all the characters. They also mentioned that a lot of the influence, you know, obviously the, the opening credits are Stephen King heavy. (laughs) They look like, it just looks like Stephen King. Like, yeah. Well, needful things is, you know, mm -hmm. know, yeah. So it kind of plays off needful things being stranger things. But they, you know, a lot of it, you know, with the kids, it, and also, Dan Simmons summer of night which I don't know if you've ever read that I read that last year Mm -mm. and it's it's very it's nefarious things going on in a town where four or five boys are trying to figure out what's going on and kids are going missing it's you know they said they took a lot of influence from that as well they took a lot of influence from everything but it was all good stuff yeah yeah it wasn't schlocky no it wasn't you know at all you know prom night or you know friday the 13th or you know stuff like that it was you know it was, right you know it was like good quality you know i did see that they have a poster when they when you see the boys in the basement they have a poster of the movie the thing right yep in the background yeah which is similar which is what kind of when you first meet the demogorgon you know you just see a silhouette it it's the way it's backlit looks like whatever person is on oh yeah good point good point yeah. Yeah. Yet, yet another, yet another illusion. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you were around, you were almost exactly the same age as these kids in 1983, right? Yes. I guess that brings us to the, the Colin moment of the episode. Yes. Give it up for Colin. Give it up for Colin being born in 1971. So yeah, 1971. So I was 12 in 1983, not unlike Lucas and Will and Dustin and Mike um, and people we will meet later. Um, But yeah, I mean, I actually went back and looked at kind of pop culture, November, 1983 stuff, like when this was set and the big movies at the time were uh, the big chill or movies that had just come out in November, Mm -hmm. the big chill, all the right moves, which gets referenced later in the series. We'll get to that. And also uh, Mr. Mom, the Michael Keaton movie, which also gets referenced later in Stranger Things. Um, Some of the big songs were that uh, Kenny Rogers, Dolly Parton classic, Islands in the Stream. Yeah. Uh, Lionel Richie's All Night Long and then Total Eclipse of the Heart, which is just awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the big TV shows were Kate and Allie, uh, The A-Team, Magnum P.I., stuff like that. So that's kind of the mindset of when the kind of the pop culture zeitgeist going on in November of 83. So... I, I I did watch Kate Nally. I loved the A Team every Tuesday. I've never night. seen an episode uh, of Kate Nally. Um, and then the A Team was just phenomenal. Every night after every Tuesday night after Boy Scouts, 
Cub Scouts. Well, it was Cub Scouts at the time because I was twelve. So we would watch. We would watch the A Team. I think it was eight o'clock on NBC on Tuesday nights. So gosh, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, you could tell me that, and I'd be like, "Yep, yeah. sounds about right." <laughs> so nineteen eighty three. But yeah, so nineteen eighty three for me was. I mean, it was what these kids were doing. And you know, you know, you rode your bikes everywhere. For me, it was going to the pool every day. So I'd hang out at the pool all day with my friends. We had swim team practice in the morning, and then we'd, you know, hang out at the pool all day. And some of my friends actually did play Dungeons and Dragons, and I sat in, you know, and kind of watched a couple campaigns in the background and you know stuff like that. But I never really got into it or created characters or anything like that. Um, but yeah, my my life was my bike and my neighborhood and my friends. And I mean, it was just exactly like this. And I was trying to think to myself, if I'm Will and I'm riding home one night from Eric's house or Clark's house or you know one of my friends' houses, and you know there's this crazy creature backlit, fifty feet in front of me. <laughs> what would old, you have done? Good old Oxford Road. Yeah, I mean, good lord, what would I? And I probably would have done exactly what he did. And it's like, just would you have known how to load a rifle? I would not have known <laughs> how to. <laughs> now in Cub Scouts, we did we did have. You know, we shot pellet guns, and I think um, my uh, my next door neighbor had a BB gun, and I think we'd shoot that every once in a while. But no, shotgun, no idea. And actually, I probably wouldn't even know how to load a BB gun or a pellet gun because it was, you know, my friend did his BB gun, and the Boy Scout leaders did the pellet gun, so I never even did that. <laughs> so, so yeah, here's a 12-year-old kid who, as a monster is chasing him, has the wherewithal to run to the shed to get the shotgun down off the wall to get the ammo to put it in the shot i mean what? it's a rifle i was corrected on that when i kept calling rifle. it shotgun. Okay. rifle the long gun that doesn't look like a pistol <laughs> <laughs> all um, i know is that it takes two bullets and you just have to like break it apart in half it looks like there you go but yeah that was that was one note that i had and i think i didn't really catch it until like you know fifth or sixth viewing i'm like wait a second how does he know how to do this when, when i'm sitting here and i'm watching it for you know the, the cinematography and i'm watching it for you know script nuance and stuff and i'm not just you know following along with the plot and i'm like so i'm like picking apart the whole thing and um yeah it's just pulling a shotgun out of the out of off and, and loading it i'm like no i, I don't know what i would have done <laughs> I would have probably just run and locked the door and sat there and in a fetal position and, you know, yelled or something. Right. You know, didn't have cell phones, so I couldn't be calling 911. You know, I did have a quarter, you know, stuck to the bottom of my bike seat with some Which duct is so tape. funny to me. So I had like the emergency phone call from the payphone. You know, I could, you know, I always had my emergency quarter, um, but what good's that going to do me when a monster's chasing me through my own house and nobody's home? So, you know, but yeah, so again, I want to talk a little bit about some of the kind of the techie stuff that I noticed when I was going back and watching it, you know, seventh or eighth time mm -hmm. and stuff like that. We talked about how there are 22 scenes in, in 47 minutes, the opening sequence, just the, sh just the part with the pan down from the stars, like star Wars, which mm -hmm. we didn't mention, you know, on the lab guy bursts out of the door, blah, blah, blah whatever it is, sucks him up through the elevator. So there's 26 shots in that opening sequence. That's insane. Yeah. If you take out, if you don't count that opening shot of the pan down, which takes forever, and then the and then the zoom in on the door before the siren starts, if you take out that, there's 24 edits in 41 seconds. And yes, I'm, I'm the kind of nerd that counts these things. Oh my um, gosh. But yeah, I mean, 
I mean, just kind of wrap your head around that for a second. So the opening sequence has 24 edits in 41 seconds, and it's all dollies and it's tilts and it's zooms and it's handheld tracking shots. And it's just, I mean, crazy. And one of my favorite shots in the whole series is the one shot, I think it's like the fourth or fifth shot, where the dude is running down the hall and the camera is tracking back. So it's kind of like the, you know, it's kind of like the reverse dolly zoom. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, you know, mm-hmm. the dolly zoom and you're standing still in the background. So it, it zooms yeah. out and the camera moves in and zooms out at the same time. So you stay. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. So it's kind of the reverse of that and it's kind of pulling back. But Bob Gorlick is the A camera operator on this and he's just a legend in the industry. And I can't believe the Duffer Brothers, you know, somehow managed to get him on board for this. He's done Pulp Fiction and uh, Dark Knight and Mockingjay and he did some stuff in The Amazing Race. He's just an awesome handheld. Look at you, you know. with all your nerd knowledge. Oh, I'm like I'm like all over the tech stuff for this. And then Tim Ives is the cinematographer or the you know director of photography, uh, director of photography with the DP for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's done House of Cards and Girls and Mr. Robot and a bunch of other stuff. So um, between the two of them, um, and then Dean Zimmerman is the editor. He actually won the Emmy um, in 2017. Is that what year we're in? 2016. No, 2016. 2017 Emmy. Uh, so it was for this episode. He won, you know. Oh, okay. The, I, got, best, I get what you're saying. Best editing in a limited series. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm way into like the cinematography and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, just that opening scene. 24 edits in 41 seconds, which seems bonkers to me. Well, um, it is. It doesn't yeah. seem that way. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So. For sure. So I think those are, those are my Colin moments for the week. I think. I think we're good. Yeah. Is it time to get to our superlatives? We can do superlatives. This part of the episode, we're going to have a little section where we give superlatives to characters or moments in the show like you would see in a yearbook. So we're going to have best all around, most school spirit, which basically is the most 80s thing we can find in each episode most stranger which i think kind of is self-explanatory the strangest or scariest moment in each episode and the best line that someone says from each episode so starting off would you like to go first colin i, I can if you would like sure i would i would love it okay which category are we going with let's go with let's say best all around for last let's go with most school spirit Okay, so my spirited thing, so the most kind of 80s thing, and there's a bunch of kind of subtly 80s stuff going on kind of in the background. You mentioned the Thing poster and, and you know, Dungeons and Dragons was kind of 80s um, though it is still around. But for my money, the most uh, kind of 80s spirited thing in the, in the show was Nancy's entire room. <laughs> um, and we'll actually get more of it in, in future episodes. But she's got the Blondie Auto-American poster on the wall that we see. Um, Africa, Toto's Africa is playing in the background as she's studying. She's dressed the way she's dressed. Steve has his rugby shirt on, which was oh so 80s. I mean, I must have had a closet full of rugby shirts from, I had a Coca-Cola one, I had a Swatch one. I mean, I had a whole bunch of bunch of rugby shirts. Mm-hmm. So I think that was that was kind of not that i didn't feel 80s through the whole episode but in her bedroom i'm like okay now we're like super 80s and yeah it it didn't feel forced it felt like you know like legitimate you know authentic 80s and so that that's my vote is nancy's room for most spirited so i went with just one particular item because overall i could just say the costume department does a great job on this show of making the clothing seem very 
authentic 80s, not your typical. When you say, oh, that looks like it's from the 80s, it's usually something that's very gaudy or neon or, you know, like the the cost the Halloween costumes that they keyboard ties. Yeah. Or, you know, lace gloves or long pearls oh, yeah. and every Madonna, Madonna. Outfit, whatever. Yeah. Yes. But for this show, they do a really good job of making things see, like appear these kids could actually walk around in 1983 and nobody would notice. Like Barb, and, for example. Oh, Barb in her frumpy pants. But the glasses style, and, the, yes. and the ruffly shirt and the and the high jeans. I'm like, that was yes. 80s, folks. Not everybody was dressing like Madonna in the 80s. No. That's how we were dressing in the yes. early 80s, especially. Mm-hmm. It was very, and especially for her, it was very frumpy and just she looks like a librarian, like a 45 year old librarian. Oh, sure. Yeah. (laughs) She's wandering the halls as a, you know, sophomore in high school, (laughs) but I chose Will's vest when he's riding home from the Dungeons and Dragons game. He has on this puffy vest that was very reminiscent of Marty McFly in back to the future. Just it. I don't know. It was the stripes on it, the coloring, all of it. That's perfect. I mean, Will overall with his bowl cut, was great but the the vest and the bowl cut kind of kind of leans a little more 70 so but yeah i'm getting you mm-hmm. with the vest and the and the marty mcfly and all that kind of stuff so absolutely yeah yeah and i feel like the they feel like they did that with with will because to show that his that joyce was struggling with money that they probably didn't have as much as his friends but you know he lived in a shoddy little house his dad had left i think they used that sort of out of date style to kind of tie in with, Oh, he doesn't have new, the newest fashions or the newest styles. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. All right. So you want to do most, most stranger things? Y- thing? Yeah. Yeah. So my most stranger, I chose the silhouette of the Demogorgon when you see Will riding home and it, you see the silhouette a couple times, but the first time you see it, when Will is on the road and there's a, a street light kind of behind him and it, it, or behind the Demogorgon and it backlights him. It, I don't know why I keep calling it him, but <laughs> it could be a her. We don't it could know. be, we don't know, but it, the first time I saw it, it made me feel like I had been punched in my gut. Like it just wasn't expecting it. It freaked me out. It was creepy and it was a perfect scare in my opinion. But mine is when the lovely um, agent Connie Frazier, who we didn't know was agent Connie Frazier at the time, mm-hmm. walks into Benny's and poor Benny. What the heck is going <laughs> on here? I think that's where you gave up too. You were like, this is not for yeah. me, Whitney. Yeah. I mean, what am I, what am I watching? And, you know, because yeah, there's a whole sci-fi vibe going on and even the guys down in the basement looking at the ick you're like okay it's still kind of creepy but you know it could just be a crazy monster and then all of a sudden he gets shot between the eyes i'm like that cracks so, me up that yeah. that's so that was my most stranger thing yeah that's a one. good one i like yep. it i i remember being shocked that they took him out so early because for some reason i was under the impression that benny was going to play a bigger role I don't know why. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, he, I, he was kind of the father figure, you know, to 11. He was the first, you know, human mm-hmm. that she really kind of came in contact with. Or for some um, reason in my head, I thought Benny and Hopper were going to team up, but that, that would have been good. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So Benny, from, from, uh, from this is us, Toby. Mm-hmm. 
this is us fans. If, yeah. yeah. What's his name? Chris Sullivan. Chris, Chris Sullivan. Yep. Yeah. He's Betty Hammond. Yep. Okay. So best line. What did you have? Um, <laughs> just, and this is so my personality. So, I mean, it's, it's obvious with, I mean, you probably don't even have to ask, but yeah. So in the scene, uh, probably about two thirds of the way through when they're having dinner at the Wheeler house and Mike wants to go rescue Will and Nancy wants to go snuggle with her douchebag boyfriend, but says she's going out with Barb. And then um, Ted, the dad is sitting there and they're all, you know, eating their, eating their nicely cooked poultry with their little veggie medley and stuff like that. And this whole scene goes on and Ted's just kind of hanging out in the background, drinking the iced tea and everything like that. And then at the end of it, the mom, Karen, turns to him and says, I hope you're enjoying your chicken, Ted. So I mean, this was the, <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just a little bit of comic relief. I mean, it's not a laugh out loud. I mean, there's no real punchline or anything like Mm-mm. that. But it was just a cute little line. And it just kind of showed you like kind of a real family having a real dinner. And the dad's always off. Well, he know. looks at her and says, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? You know, uh, so yeah. I hope you're well, enjoying I, your chicken, Ted. And I feel like that's very spot on for how parents were in the 80s. And I don't know if it's fair to say that more dads were, but it seems like that they were less involved in the day-to-day Oh, sure. How many, how many times growing up did you hear, go ask your mother? Right. You know? You know? Yes. And yeah. uh, and they make a point to to show that in this and the kids are out you know riding their bikes wherever they're riding across town at nine o'clock at night oh yeah you know to get home and today we don't even let our kids out of our sight and they've got cell phones and we have trackers on their cell phones to see where they are (laughs) yep all right so what was your best line uh my best line it's very well known so it shouldn't come as a shock but it's when hopper walks in to the police station and his secretary is trying to tell him that Joyce is waiting and she's been waiting and she's pretty frantic. And he just shushes her and says, mornings are for coffee and contemplation as he shoves a donut in his mouth. That's a yeah, classic line. Probably the just, most famous line of chapter one. Yeah. 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 So I love him. I love how he seems very unbothered by the whole thing, but I also wonder if that has to do with, we learn, you know, that he's lost a child and he doesn't want Maybe he's hoping for the best. He doesn't want to be involved in another tragedy with a kid. All righty. Best all around. So we can go one of two ways for this. You can say like an actor that gave a particularly good performance or a character that had a particularly good arc in the chapter, however you want to go on this. Mm-hmm. So what are you what are you going for for best all around? I actually chose Mike because I love how dedicated he is to Will. And I love that this is what we have. This is what he and his friends have to do. This is what's needed. They have to save Will. And because I'm not sure that Lucas and Dustin would have embarked on this journey if it wasn't for Mike saying, no, we have to do something. We have to go find him. We have to, you know, the cops aren't, the adults aren't going to do the job. We got it. It's up to the kids. It's a good one. That was Mike. I'm going to go, I'm going to go the actor route and I'm going to go with Winona Ryder. Um, despite my you know innate sense of hating all things angsty because every scene <laughs> she is in from here to the end of the series are yep. the most angst-filled scenes in the entire show um but she kind of came out of nowhere i mean she i mean obviously we all knew 
Winona mm-hmm. you know, growing up with you know Edward Scissorhands and Reality Bites and all this kind of stuff, but she hadn't done really a whole lot between the nineties to you know getting to Stranger Things. So I was looking through her um, you know filmography. I mean, she was on Friends for an episode. She did some Drunk History in twenty thirteen. She was a voice in Frankenweenie. She did Black Swan in 2010, but I mean, there were right. kind of like bit parts. And so she was yeah. kind of, she kind of drifted out of the, you know, cultural radar. And then she comes back into this and yeah, I mean, it's so angst ridden. And, but I mean, it's a mom who has lost her baby boy and mm-hmm. it's just a performance. She knocks it out of the park. Um, oh, she's phenomenal. Oh, absolutely fantastic. So I think she she gets my best all around for this this opening chapter of Stranger Things. I think that's an excellent choice. Mine was a t- I mean, I had a tough time choosing between Mike and Hopper, but ultimately I'm with Mike. So all right, guys, that does it for episode one of Scoops Ahoy podcast. We will be back next week with chapter two, The Weirdo on Maple Street. Is that the title of it? That is the Weirdo on Maple Street. We're on Maple Street for next week. It's episode two of season one. In the meantime, if you have any comments or questions, you can always email us at scoopsahoypod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at scoopsahoypod. So if you're into all the socials, go ahead and do that. And we'll be posting fun stuff, episode updates, Stranger Things updates in general. We're excited. It's, it's, it's a mixed bag of things, of excitement. The world is our oyster. Yes. So I want to thank everybody for listening and I hope you tune in next time. Thanks guys. Bye. Bye. Stranger Things audio clips and official score are the property of Netflix. Incidental music by Blue Mountain Score from Vixen A.